Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning. Those of you that are watching online, glad that you're with us as well. Uh, This past week, actually about a week and a half ago, uh, and maybe you've been to this uh, park, and maybe you're going to be going to this, but about a week and a half ago, my family and I and the Ely family got a chance to go to the Great Wolf Lodge, kind of a couple hours away. How many of you have been to the Great Wolf Lodge? A few of you? So when you go to the Great Wolf Lodge, uh, it's, it's a good place, and it was even better because a church planning network sponsored us to go, our family, so that made it even better. But when we went to this place, uh, we, one of the best parts about it, they have a high ropes course, they have a bunch of other stuff, but the thing that's kind of everybody likes to go to is the water park. And some of you have been to that water park, and, and at this water park, there's about probably about at least seven water slides, and there's a wave pool, and there's some other stuff, and, and uh, all the water slides are fun, but there's one water slide there, and if you've been there, you know this, that made me a little bit nervous. And, and so I think we have a picture of it. Uh, this is not me, uh, but this is somebody else uh, from Google. Uh, but, but there's this one water slide. This is a water slide that you are not going to have to wait in a long line for because no one wants to ride this water slide. Uh, this is a water slide where when you get into it, uh, they literally put a clear thing over you. You're standing on a whatever and... In the background, they're playing this very loud heartbeat. And then all of a sudden, some extremely deranged person pushes a button and the bottom drops out from under you and you fall. And so kind of my personality as I'm going there and I'm starting to ride these rides with my, my, my daughter and some, some of the other people that we were there with, I saw this slide in my personality because I'm nervous about it because I know like, oh, that looks tough. Uh, I'm not a, I don't really want to do that. My personality pushes me to just go do it and get it out of the way. Some of you are probably like that too. And so I did. I, I put on my brave face and actually Logan Ely and I, uh, we went and uh, we, we, we got to this and I was, you know, putting on the, I'm brave and courageous, but I'm really scared. And I probably am going to have to change my bathing suit after this is over. Uh, but, but I get in, they, my turn came and again, the line's not long, so we didn't have to wait long. I get in the tube, they put the thing over me, and uh, the loud heartbeat's going on, and five seconds pass, 10 seconds pass, 20 seconds pass, I'm like, am I over the weight limit? What is the problem here? 30 seconds pass, 40 seconds pass, and I'm, I'm starting to think like, how much of a wimp am I going to look like if I tap on this glass and ask them to let me out? Why isn't this thing going? And after what seemed like about seven hours, probably was about 45 seconds, all of a sudden the bottom dropped out and I went down. I can't remember what it felt like because I was so afraid, but I, I went down the slide and, and you know, kind of did, did whatever you're supposed to do and kind of cleaned myself up afterwards. Uh, but, but that was my experience. But the lesson of being in that tube and not, it not going the way that I had planned is not lost. And for some of you, you, you might ride this water slide. But, but every single one of us, whether this is a water slide you'll ever ride or not, every single one of us has been in the water slide in some area of our life where we stepped out of our comfort zone, we're kind of afraid, and we decided, you know what, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, and we kind of had a plan on how we thought it was going to go, like, all right, five seconds into this thing, the bottom's going to drop out, I'm going to be okay, but then it doesn't go the way you expect it. You stepped out of your comfort zone, you, you 
started something that you were a little bit afraid of. You, you moved into something that you had been thinking about and finally took the step. And then the plan that you had didn't go exactly the way you thought. And in fact, some obstacles came that you hadn't expected. Uh, there were some maybe voices, some discouraging voices you didn't expect to hear that actually started to yell. And you found yourself stepping out of this kind of comfort zone, stepping into something probably that you thought maybe was the right thing. Maybe it was even something, maybe you would even say it was what God wanted you to do. And, and in that moment, as the obstacles came, as the discouraging voices that you weren't expecting begin to yell, you had to make a decision. Am I going to listen to these discouraging voices? Am I going to tap on the glass and, and get out of this thing? What am I going to do? And we started oh, about two or three weeks ago, we started talking about a guy in the scriptures that was dealing with this exact same thing. This guy, Nehemiah, was, and, and, and as we've read about, and we'll, we'll continue to talk about him, he was facing something that was honestly big and far out of his comfort zone. And, and you're going to find out, just like I have, as I've been studying about him, that, man, not everything went according to plan, and some of the voices that he didn't expect to be discouraging were yelling the loudest. And yet, Nehemiah, in the midst of stepping out of his comfort zone, in the midst of, of taking some steps that, that were hard and some obstacles that came that he wasn't expecting, he had to walk through this. And if you have your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, by, by kind of way of review, this guy, Nehemiah, he lived about 2,500 years ago. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the Persian king. And basically what the cupbearer is, is the person that tastes food. He makes sure that the, everything that the king eats or drinks is not poisonous. And so that's kind of, I mean, it's probably a pretty good role, pretty good job. And so that was his job. And he's about, he's in Persia. He's far away from where he's from. He's probably about seven or 800 miles away from where he's actually kind of his ancestors are from. And he's serving this king. And then all of a sudden one day, and this probably wasn't something that happened every day because of how far it was, he gets a visit from his brother. And his brother's name is Hanani, and his brother comes, and just like you or I would if we were seeing somebody that we hadn't seen in a while from kind of back home, Nehemiah asks a question. He says, hey, how are things back in Jerusalem? How are things back home? How's everybody doing? And, and Nehemiah, he, he gets an answer that he wasn't expecting. And we've looked at that, but, but just by way of review, look with me at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, and let's kind of hear and remind ourselves of the news that he got. It says this, the remnant or the group of people in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned. And it says this, and this is kind of Nehemiah's, how he, what he, uh, kind of, when he was heard this news, kind of how he responded. It says this, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. So Nehemiah, this guy that's a cupbearer for the king, he's seven to 800 miles away from his home area. He gets a visit from his brother, and man, he, he asks his brother, hey, how's the, how are the people that are back in Jerusalem? How are the people that are now trying to rebuild the city? And he gets some news that he wasn't probably expecting, and news that was honestly couldn't have been much worse. He gets the news that, man, the people are in, in shame. They're, it's a shambles, man. The, the defense system, the walls that are around the city, they're broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah, it's terrible at home. And so we've, we've talked about his response over the last few weeks. And so, man, when Nehemiah heard this, there was something inside of him that just broke. He, he heard the news about his families and the people that he loved in his home area. And it, his, his heart broke. And it says that he wept and mourned and fasted for days. And we know it was about four months that this went on. He, he fasted and he prayed 
for four months because his heart was so broken and bothered by the news that his brother had given him. And it was during this four-month period of time that God gave Nehemiah some real clarity on kind of his plan and, and how he wanted Nehemiah to be involved. And then we looked this past week because Nehemiah worked for another king. And so the problems back home, the problems in Jerusalem, he, he wasn't in a position where he could just, hey, I'm going to take off a couple of years and go help these people. This king had to give him the authority and, and basically say, hey, you can go do this. And so after Nehemiah heard this news and he, he was broken and spent four months praying and crying out to God and fasting, the king that he was working with gave Nehemiah the blessing to go back. And this was a big deal. The, the king kind of gave him a, a blessing to say, hey, Nehemiah, I know this breaks your heart. I know this makes you incredibly sad. And so, hey, I want to give you my blessing, my endorsement to go back and be a part of the solution. And so that's what Nehemiah did. And we pick up the story on Nehemiah's kind of journey back home after the king has kind of given him, hey, you have my blessing, you have my endorsement, go do this. And it says this in Nehemiah chapter 2, look at verse 9, and this is kind of in the midst of that journey. It says this, it says, I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. And so I think we have a map. So Nehemiah, he's kind of hanging out right here in Susa. That's where he's tasting the king's food, drinking the king's wine. Life is good. His brother comes about seven or 800 miles to see him, gives him this news. Now he's got the blessing of the king to go back and help and fix things and be a part of the solution. And so Nehemiah now has this seven to eight hundred mile, what would have taken at least two, maybe three months. And the king, and this was really important for this time, the king had, had given him letters and they were basically endorsements. They were endorsements. So as Nehemiah traveled, this was not really a safe journey. And there was a lot of people that would, man, if they had their way, they would take Nehemiah out. And so Nehemiah was given letters, kind of endorsements from the king to say, hey, when you're about ready to shoot me or beat me up, hey, read this letter from the king. And it basically says, hey, if you mess with my friend Nehemiah, I'm coming to get you. And so he had these letters. And, and not only that, the king, man, he actually sent some security forces with him on this journey. It was a big journey. Not only did Nehemiah get security forces and letters of kind of endorsement, but the king kind of went one step further. And the king said, hey, hey, while you're, I know you're going to need a lot of wood. I know you're going to need a lot of supplies for that wall that you're going to try to rebuild. And so, hey, here's another letter. And it's a letter to the guy that oversees all my forest. And you, you take this letter to him and he's going to supply you with a bunch of the wood and some of the resources you're going to need. And so, man, Nehemiah is feeling probably pretty good. He's on his way after four months of crying out to God. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's on his way there, and he's got, man, the, the king's security forces around him. He's got a bunch of supplies that the king's given him. I mean, he's probably feeling pretty good about what's going on, and, and things are moving forward. He's seen God work. But then, as he gets back to Jerusalem, Nehemiah realizes that, you know what? Not everybody is a huge fan of me. And not everybody is a huge fan of the wall being rebuilt and Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem doing well. There's actually some people that that's not really a big thing for them and they actually don't like it much. And so Nehemiah, as he's, he gets back to Jerusalem, it says this, it says this in verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. So this guy, Sam Ballot, we think he was probably like the governor of Samaria, which was a little bit north of, of where Nehemiah was going to go. And this guy, Tobiah, was probably also a government official. 
And for some reason, when they heard that Nehemiah was coming to help and to pursue prosperity, it says they were greatly displeased. See, these these two men, they didn't want to see Jerusalem's wall rebuilt because the prosperity of the Israelites meant that it wasn't going to be as good for them. And it kind of went against some of their goals. And so when they heard that, man, Nehemiah's coming back to fix things and to be part of a solution and, and to help these people be prosperous, it says they were greatly displeased. They, they did not want God's best for the Jewish people. They did not want God's best for the city of Jerusalem. And so it bothered them that people were going to prosper. And, and unfortunately, and you know this, there are Sambalat and Tobias today. I mean, there's always been Sambalat and Tobias who see you and I or maybe somebody trying to take steps towards God's best and the way that you're taking steps towards God's best and you're listening to the voice of God and trying to do the right thing for some reason, they don't want that to happen. And maybe, maybe what it is is, man, when they see you start to change or they see things start to happen in their life, it maybe turns the magnifying glass on them and makes them feel bad because their life isn't changing. Maybe for some of them, instead of them wanting other people to change, when, when other people change, it kind of just highlights more of what the bad decisions that they're making. And so their goal is if everybody stays down, it's, it's, all, it's better for them. And that's how these guys were. That's why, how Sam Ballot and Tobiah, and there will be other characters in the story that throughout the story, as Nehemiah is trying to do what God says, and as Nehemiah is trying to help people, that there are several people that say, hey, we don't want that to happen. We don't want you to follow God's best. When you follow God's best, it makes us look bad. And so we're going to try everything we can to stop you. And like I said, you, you might have some people like that. In your life, you might be watching online or you're here this morning and you, you might say in your story, you might have been that person back in the day. There, there might have been some people in your life that you saw going down the right path. And at that point in your life, you weren't ready to make changes. You didn't want to get out of the mire yet. And so as they started to move forward, it threatened your way of life and you weren't a huge fan of it. And now maybe as you're trying to take some steps forward, as you're trying to make some good decisions, there may be people around you that are kind of playing that same role. They're, they're not a huge fan of you following God, taking steps forward, and, and they're discouraging voices that honestly you didn't expect to hear, but now they're some of the loudest voices around you. And that's what Nehemiah was facing as he's Getting back to Jerusalem, and he's got the king's endorsement. He's got all the wood and, and the supplies he needs. And, man, things are going well. And all of a sudden, he realizes there's a bunch of people out there that don't want God's best. And they're going to do everything they can to stop it. And so Sambalat and Tobiah, along with a few others, like, like I said, that we'll see, they were going to do everything in their power. To stop Nehemiah from building the wall and helping the Jewish people prosper. And verse 11 tells us as Nehemiah gets back to the city and as he just kind of spends his first few days there. Verse 11 tells us kind of what happens as he gets, finally gets back to the area and people aren't real excited about him being there. It tells us what he does. It says this. In verse 11, after I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there for three days, I got up at night. I took a, a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. So instead of getting to Jerusalem... And kind of gathering all the workers and kind of starting to bark out orders and say, hey, I got letters from the king. You got to do what I say. Nehemiah, he took a different approach. He got back to the city after this long journey. And it says he, he took three days. He probably rested. Probably took three days to rest. 
to kind of get his bearings. He didn't tell a lot of people. He didn't, didn't come out and gather everybody together. He didn't, not a lot of people knew all the reason he was there. And then what it says is, instead of kind of coming in with a lot of fanfare, he quietly and carefully just got his bearings and actually woke up one night and, and went around the city and, and just began to really inspect and look at what was really going on in the city, what the damage really was. It says in verse 13, I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate. Wouldn't you like to live by the dung gate? And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I think we have a a map, a little bit of a map of kind of uh, where Nehemiah was. And so a little bit of, you can't see the whole city here, but but Nehemiah, he comes out, I think actually this right here is where the valley gate is. So he, middle of the night, and maybe you can kind of picture it in your mind's eye. He, he comes out, he just has probably one animal with him, maybe the one that he's riding on. And he's got a couple of his guys with him, but not, not a lot of people. Not a lot of people even know what he's there for. And he comes out and what he does is he just takes some time in the middle of the night without anybody really paying attention to him. And he just starts to kind of go around the city and examines the walls. He, he looks at, he's heard that these gates have been burned by fire. And he, he wants to get an understanding and really get to see it. And, and it says that he inspected the walls. That word inspect, it's to look into something very carefully. It's a, it's a medical word that would describe someone that's probing a wound to see the extent of the damage. And so can you see Nehemiah? He's out there. He's got his, got his donkey. He's like, Shh, everybody be quiet. We're just going to quietly walk around the city. We're going to quietly look at the gates. And we're going to, maybe he, I don't know what he wrote. He didn't have like an iPhone. To, all right, can you, well, let's jot some notes down. He had probably something that he was kind of jotting some notes down. If it was you and I, we'd be like, all right, uh, uh, Richard, could you get a picture of the dung gate and what's the damage there? And then let's go here and let's get a picture here. And we, we'd do that. But him, he was, he was kind of doing the same thing without the technology, just getting a picture of what the damage was and, and, and really trying to, to, to understand. And it, it goes on and it says this, I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down, it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate. So he kind of went in the gate that he came out, same gate, and returned. And then verse 16 says this. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. He's probably making people nervous. Like, what is this cat Nehemiah doing here? Where'd he go? I thought he was over here. Probably people trying to watch him to make sure he's not doing anything crazy. And where'd Nehemiah go? He's out like looking at the walls. And it says this. I had gone and... Didn't know what I was doing. And it says, for I had not yet told the Jews, the priest, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. See, to this point, Nehemiah had talked a lot to God, but he hadn't talked a lot to people about what he was there to do. And and I think the reason is, is, Nehemiah, he he remained so dependent on God throughout this process. When he got there, he didn't get in a hurry. He didn't allow outside pressure or outside voices to influence him. His confidence was in God, and it was the foundation of even how he approached this project. See, if Nehemiah was kind of dependent on his own abilities and his own wisdom, he probably would have handled the project differently. If it was all about Nehemiah and all about how Nehemiah wanted to do things, he probably would have done it a lot differently. He probably would have came into the city and, and as an insecure leader, had to make, make, make sure that everybody knew he was in charge and he would have probably started barking out orders, but it's just not how he did that because he, he was so dependent on God and he was so attentive to God's voice. That, that he, he had such confidence in God that he was able to take his time. He was able even to rest for a few days. He was able to take time and inspect the walls and, and not get in a hurry. I don't know about you, but, but for me, man, I'm the type that if there is a problem, 
I just want, it's like the slide. I just want, let me go to the slide, get on the slide, go down the slide and just get it over with. Like if there's a problem, let's go fix it right now so we don't have to think about it. And maybe that's your personality too, where and you're, you're that type of person where if there's an issue, man, you just want to like, let's get it tackled and let, we'll, we'll figure it out if we did it right later, but let's at least start something. Or maybe you're the opposite and you're like, I'll let that thing sit there for days and pretend it's not there and I'm good with that. Well, well, Nehemiah, he, because of his confidence in God, he was a man of action. He was a great leader, but he didn't feel like he had to get in there and kind of show how powerful he was and tell everybody he was in charge. He was able to come in and thoughtfully, prayerfully do things the right way because he was dependent on God. He was able to finalize his plans. He was able to really inspect the damage He wasn't looking for the approval of people or friends or enemies. He could have cared less. He was there listening to God and following God's plan. That's why he was even there. And what after he took some time and he kind of rested and he prepared, verse 17 tells us that he began to now engage the people. It says this. So I said to them, this is probably the next morning, after he's inspected the wall, he's got a good handle on what's going on, what the damage is. He says, so I said to them, to the people, the people that were probably wondering, what in the world are you doing here, Nehemiah? He says, I I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Basically, Nehemiah, his, his strategy here is just to say, hey, look around. Look, look, look around, folks. Like you're, you're walking by these gates and by these walls all the time. You see our enemies and, and you see how, how people can get into our city and hurt us. I mean, just look around. Look at the, the tragedy that's around us. See, really see things. He challenged them to really see what was happening. To take their head out of the sand and look at what was going on. And then he says this. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. So that we will no longer be a disgrace. I love how all throughout Nehemiah's story, you see Nehemiah is not a finger pointer. He says we. He says let's, let us. Like let let us do this. We're going to do this. Let's rebuild the wall. You guys see all the damage. You see all the tragedy. You see, let's, let's quit walking by the tragedy. Let's quit pretending it's not there. And let's together do something about it. And, and, and instead of motivating them by pointing to himself and his accomplishments and his qualifications, Nehemiah motivated the people by doing two things. He pointed them to the need that was obvious But then the next thing he does in the very next phrase is he points them to God and how God has already been working. Look what he says. He says, I told him how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. Basically, Nehemiah is like, hey, guys, come here. Look at, look at the craziness around us. Look at the damage that's been done. Look at the danger we're in. Look at the walls that are broken down. But hey, come here. I got to tell you something. Dude, about four months ago, actually at this point, it's probably about seven months ago, you guys know my brother, Hananiah. Yeah, yeah, we know Hananiah. Well, he, he paid me a little visit at the, at the palace, and he told me about all that was going on here. He told me about the torment you're in. He told me about how the wall's broken down. And guys, when he told me that, my heart was broken for you. My heart was broken for our city, and, and, and I spent about four months just crying out to God for you and for the wall and for what we needed to do in this area. And then, guys, you're not going to guess what happened. I was hanging out with the king, just doing my job one day, and the king asked me about why I was sad, what was bothering me. And, guys, I was so afraid. I was so afraid. I know I wasn't supposed to be sad in front of the king, so I was afraid what the king was going to do, but you're never going to guess what happened. God opened the door. He answered my prayer. The king not only endorsed me, but you see all this wood and all these supplies, these security forces, 
The king sent that to us for free. He, he wanted us to be a part of this. Man, guys, I wish you could have been with me over the last seven months and watched God work. And it was, I love how Nehemiah, as he's doing this, he, he doesn't talk to them about how qualified he is or why they need to follow him or what he's done in his life. He says, hey, look at the need and then let me tell you about what God's already done. And that's what he used to motivate these people. See, and you know this, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, man, when, when you hear about God's work in the past in someone else's life, it gives you hope. It gives you courage for the future. That's, that's one of the reasons I, I love our small groups here at church. I've been in the same small group for probably about a year and a half now. Uh, my group, we meet on Wednesdays and and I've been in the group long enough to know that, man, over the last year and a half, we have, one of the things we do in our group is we take prayer requests. And we've prayed for very specific things over the last year and a half. And we've, man, been broken for each other and different things that are happening in people's lives. And it's been really cool to watch how over the last year and a half, not only have we prayed specifically and been broken over some issues and some people that we love but we have also heard people say, hey, let me tell you how God answered that prayer request. Let me tell you what God's doing in that person's life. And it's such a, an encouraging thing. And you've experienced it too, probably uh, in your small group. It's, man, when you hear about how God has worked in someone else's life and you watch God work in somebody's story and you see miracles happen and lives changed, there's no way, you can't excuse it, you can't argue with it. It just gives you hope and confidence to move forward and continue to do God's best. And that's exactly what happened. To these guys, after Nehemiah kind of explained to them how God had been at work and how God had, had, had been doing all this stuff over the last few months, this is how these, these guys, they responded. This is how they responded. It says, they said, let's go. Let's start rebuilding. And it says this, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. They're like, let's go. Like, like we're in. We're done with apathy. We're done with hopelessness. We're done with listening to the enemy. We're done with seeing the need and, and just kind of walking by it. Nehemiah, you're, you're telling us about how God's worked in your life and, and we can't argue with the story. And so, man, it, it motivates us to just say, we're in. We want that. We want to be a part of the story. Let's go. And as excited as these guys were and as motivated as they were, as they were getting more motivated to obey God, the voices of discouragement were getting more motivated to stop what God was doing. And that's what we see. Next verse. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us. And they said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? See, the opposition hated progress. The opposition hated change, hated hope. They, 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 they hated seeing these people kind of get out of the mire and start to move forward. And so they, they would use, and as we read through the story over the next few weeks, they would use all types of discouragement and, and strategies to try to stop them. And in this case, they're like, hey, what, what are you doing? Does the king know about this? Why, why, are you, why are you going up against the king? And I love Nehemiah for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love Nehemiah is he didn't argue with them. He didn't argue. In fact, you read through the whole story. He, he doesn't spend a lot of time like really listening and arguing and telling the people why they're wrong. In fact, look, look what Nehemiah said. Instead of being moved by them or like, oh, guys, oh, yeah, we're sorry. We'll stop. What, look what Nehemiah did. It says this. I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you, 
You have no share, no right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, he didn't argue. What he did is he just pointed to God. See, the all-powerful God was in charge. He was the one who had called Nehemiah to this. He was the one who had provided all the resources. Nehemiah knew that. And so Nehemiah says, hey, we're, we're his servants. We're on his agenda. Our success, he's in charge of it. You know what? You, you don't have any right. We're not listening to your voice. We're just going to start rebuilding. Like, why would we focus on obstacles? Why would we listen to people who are against us. We're just going to pick up a tool and get to work. Like we don't have time for this. We're just going to get after it. And maybe in your life, maybe you're watching online, you say, man, that's, that, that probably preaches really good, Chris. But that's a lot easier said than done. Like the, hey, I'm not going to listen to the voices. I'm not going to allow the obstacles to slow me down. I'm just going to get after what God's called me to. That's a great idea. It's a great story. It's great. You know, that's what we all really want. But it's a lot easier said than done. And you're right. And so as we kind of start to close things up, let's, let's turn the mirror a little bit. Let, let's turn the mirror from examining Nehemiah's life and the obstacles Nehemiah was facing and the voices that were yelling at Nehemiah. And let's, let's turn the mirror onto ourselves because you're right. It is hard. And, and it doesn't play out as nicely as it seems to be playing out for Nehemiah. So, so whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're somebody that's investigating faith, maybe you're not sure what you believe, it doesn't matter where you are. Let me, let me just ask you, when, when you are kind of stepping out of your comfort zone, whether it's in your work, with your family, whether it's in another area of your life, when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, when you're taking that step and an obstacle comes, a discouraging voice comes, what do you do? I know what we all hope we do, but, but what do you really do? When, when work gets hard, when obstacles come that you weren't expecting, and when you realize that not everybody is for you, like, what do you do? What do I do? And, and for me, as I was thinking about this, and, and I think this would definitely apply to all of us, what we do in those circumstances, and we all face those circumstances from the beginning of our life to the end of our life. What we do, honestly, I think comes down to the answer to two really just personal questions. And, and here's the first one. And, and I think this is why we have the story of Nehemiah the way it is, because of how he answered these two questions I'm about to throw at you. The first one is this. Whose approval are you after? Like, let's just be part, like, this isn't a counseling session. But, but, like, who do you want to love you the most? Like, whose love are you wanting most? Who's, maybe a better way to say it is, whose love do you need most? Like, who do you want to be happy with you most? Whose opinion out of everybody is most important to you? See, for Nehemiah, and, and maybe he wouldn't be able to say it his whole life, but in this moment that we're reading about, the approval that Nehemiah was seeking, whose opinion he cared about most was God. That's why Nehemiah was able to hear different people's voices, and he was able to he hear what they were saying, but, but continue to stay focused because he wasn't trying to please those people. He wasn't even trying to please the people in Jerusalem. He, he came there called by God. He came there empowered by God, and his approval, what the person that he wanted to hear from most and the opinion he cared about most was God's. So, so whose approval? And let's, let's be honest. For some of you, May, may you grew up maybe with a dad that was kind of out, and you found yourself as, a, as, a, as an adult making decisions based on, I hope my dad's happy with this. Your dad might not even be alive anymore. The, the person that you are allowing to dictate what you do might not even be on the planet anymore. But, but they, in, at a part of your life, they had such a strong 
uh, kind of power over you that you found yourself, everything you did was, is, are they going to be happy? Are they going to be happy? I hope they're okay with me. hope they love me. And, and man, it's natural. I'm not saying that's, it's hard not to have that happen. So, so whose approval are you after? But then the second question is this. How does that person determine success? So, so whoever it is that you care most, that, that's happy with you, their opinion's most important to you, you need their love the most, how does that person determine success? For some, it might be, I just got to win. If I'm winning at life, if I'm winning at sports, if I'm winning, they're happy. It might be, if I can make those people comfortable and happy, like, like you might have a dad and, and you remember just coming home and from school and, and the whole, everybody kind of walked on eggshells because you were just, everybody was just trying to keep dad happy. What does dad need to be happy? And so for you, it's like, man, that, that person, if they're happy and comfortable, that's how they determine success. How does that person, the person that you seek approval from, for, for some, it's, man, it's money. It's, man, if, if your bank account's big, then, or you, you're able to kind of buy a lot of nice things, that person's going to think a lot of you, and they're going to be happy with you, and that's going to make you feel good. What is it? What is it? What, what's that person, the person that you're seeking approval from, how do they determine success? For Nehemiah, his approval, what he wanted, the voice he cared about most was God's. And for God, success equals faithfulness. Success doesn't even mean the wall has to be rebuilt. Success doesn't mean it has to be rebuilt in a certain amount of time for Nehemiah. Success means that I, God's called me to do something. He's in charge of how successful we are. He's in charge of how how we gather the supplies. He's in charge of how he takes care of us. My role, what I need to do is I just need to be obedient and be faithful. That's how he determines success. And, And here's the beautiful thing about God. God's approval, it's not based on anything you have or will do. His approval is based solely on what Jesus did. And so, man, you you don't have to walk through your life and think, man, goodness, I hope God's happy with me today. Oh, man, if if, if God, man, if I don't get God's, what do I got to do to get God's approval? God's like, it's already been taken care of. My son, Jesus, he actually came to earth about 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless life for 33 years, and then he was put to death on a cross. He died. He shed his blood. He went through torture, and he did that not to pay for his own sin. He actually did it to pay for your sin and my sin. Then they took his body off that cross after he died. They put him in a grave, and and three days after he got into that grave, he rose from the grave, and he's alive today. And so when God looks at you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not all your mistakes. So when God looks at you, if you have followed Jesus and you have believed the gospel and you have a relationship with Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And so he sees, oh, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was holy. And he sees you the same way. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did. He he sees us as holy and righteous. And and, and God, as he measures success, God's measure of success is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. And so the beautiful thing is, and maybe this is like a day where you can like take some shackles off your life. That the beautiful thing is if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're not trying to earn God's approval. He already loves you. You're already a beloved son and daughter. He loves you unconditionally. Does he hate it when you make stupid decisions and hurt yourself and other people? Yes. But it doesn't change how he sees you. And all he's asking for is, hey, be faithful. 
here's, here's, here's my plan for your best. And all I want you to do, I just want you to trust me and walk that path faithfully. God, do I have to run? God, do I have to do it? But no, 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 no. Here's the path. Here's my best for you. Here's my best for your finances. Here's my best for your sexuality. Here's my best for your family. Here's my best for your relationships. Here's my best. And I'm just asking that you would just trust me and be faithful to walk that out. That's it. That's what God's asking. And for Nehemiah, the reason that you and I are even reading about him is because this is what he did. If he would have got to the city and, and not obeyed God, not trusted God, not listened to God, not did what God said and tried to do his own thing, who knows what would have happened. But, but the reason that we're reading about Nehemiah isn't because he didn't face obstacles, isn't because his plans didn't get uh, negative things said about it. it. It's not because it was easy for him. It's because he said, hey, I am focused on God's voice and God's plan, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be faithful. And you know what? I don't have time for all this other stuff. I'm just going to do it God's way, and the pressure's on God, not on me. And that's what he did. And the beautiful thing about the local church is, is that we're here as a gathering to help each other do that. We're here as a gathering to help each other say, you know what? Here's what God's best is for you. Man, follow God's best. Trust him. Don't allow the, the world and the obstacles and the voices that are so loud in our society to stop you from listening and obeying God. And if you'll do that, in the end, the story will be what it's supposed to be. The story will be one of grace and success based on God's standards, not ours. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close things up, maybe you're watching online or you're maybe listening to this in a coffee shop, maybe it's on a podcast, or maybe you're here this morning with us. And, and like Nehemiah, all of us face challenges. That's just part of life. If somebody told you following Jesus was easy, they lied to you. It's just a part of life. But, but the reason Nehemiah was, was able to not be flustered, to not tap out when things got hard, was because he was not seeking the approval of anyone but God. And he was not trying to follow the plan or opinion of anyone but God. And so here's the question. Is that true of you? Let me be honest. Just in your heart, you don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. Like, honestly, whose approval are you seeking most? You don't have to change it, but at least be honest about it, because it'll tell you a lot of things about your life. Whose approval? Like, whose voice, whose opinion, whose love do you need most? Who's, like, like, who is it? And what is that person, how do they determine success? And if for you, you would, you would say, you know what? And maybe it comes to mind pretty quick. It's not God. It's not God, Chris. And, and I think, Chris, that's why I veer off so much. And I move into the direction of other people's opinions and approval. I, I, I've gotten off of God's path in my life in different times. And maybe it's because you're not seeking God first. So, so what if in this moment that changed? What if we just change that right now? What if, what if we just admitted to God, God, I admit to you, your approval, your opinion hasn't been most important to me. Yeah, I would say it was, but honestly, the way I live my life shows that's not true. What, what if just right now you confess that? And then you just leaned in to the fact that you are deeply loved because of Jesus. You're deeply loved 
And instead of worrying about other people's approval and other people's opinions, now that you know you're deeply loved, accepted by Jesus, you and I can spend our energy just trying to be faithful to God's plan instead of trying to keep everybody else happy. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you would say, Chris, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And for you, I would say, man, the first best step for you is to say yes to that relationship. You say, man, how, how would I do that? Well, I already mentioned it. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. And at the age of 33, he died on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And here's what he wants. He just wants you to say yes to that relationship, to that invitation he's giving you to allow him to come into your life and transform you. So just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching this with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if you're here or you're watching and you'd say, today, Chris, that's what I want. I want to start a relationship with God. I want to do what God wants in my life. Just right ever, wherever you're at, just in your heart to God, tell him something like this. Say, God, I admit to you I've done things my way. I admit I've sinned. Just tell him. Then tell him, God, I, I believe. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did that for me. And then just say yes. God, I want a relationship with you. Please come into my life and transform me now. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you made that decision, man, we'd love to celebrate with you. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision slip right there. You can fill out. We'll get that. We'll contact you this week just to answer questions, celebrate with you. And if you're here with us this morning, there's a decision card right in front of you that you can fill out. And like... Just like I said earlier, we'll, we'll call you, won't bug you, but man, just want to rejoice with you, answer any questions you have, just kind of help you on this new relationship with Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we can depend on you. Lord, I thank you that you love us unconditionally. You love us as much on our best day as on our worst day. And I pray that we would lean into that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.